Hello, welcome and kumustan. Thank you for joining me today. This is how I am your occupational therapist. And in this episode, I have a guest OT apprentice with me today. Hello. Hello, Grace. Welcome, Grace. And uh, well, thank you for joining me. So Grace has been working with me uh, in critical care and we have uh, an opportunity to explore her experience. She might have some questions for me. So we don't know. We're going to be surprised. So how are you, Grace? I'm good. I'm good. It's my last week this week. That's Always. good. Critical care. Critical care. So I'm going to be asking you questions then. Mm-hmm. How did you find the experience? I. It's been more than I ever expected, really. It's in like a really good way. I've think I've learned a huge amount and it's been really unexpected because I I, because I'm an apprentice I work in a district general hospital Mm. and I'm used to sort of working in quite a different way and I thought the two settings would be quite similar both sort of acute inpatient hospitals and I didn't realize it would be quite so different Mm. okay you say it was a bit different what is it that you like the most out of the experience? I think the freedom. I, th- I think the fact that I've been able to meet patients and kind of use my own initiative and understanding of them to do OT with them in a kind of very holistic, traditional OT way. I think I'm used to working quite a prescriptive, kind of structured, assessment-focused, discharge planning way. and critical care has just meant I can go in and actually do something that's person specific and meaningful and really truly occupational focused. Right so that's a little bit strange for me Grace. You you say freedom. There is freedom to do some things in critical care. Yeah How how are you free to do something? I think because actually there are patients that are that you're not discharging them, you're not kind of looking at those like really goal-centered kind of very like functional in terms of like ADLs and washing and dressing and, and those kind of like very discharge planning focused things. You're actually looking at like a really broad scope of occupations because they're patients that aren't moving anywhere particularly quickly and they're not going to be sort of doing anything more than what they can do sort of sat up in bed. And and Although that is a restriction, you've then got loads of options. You can do whatever they want to do within that. With that, that within that boundary. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So as you were saying, so we were talking about critical care, yeah? And critical care, as you did mention, the person is attached to lots of things, mm-hmm. lots of life-saving devices, perhaps ventilator, maybe lots of lines attached to them. And regard and despite that, what's interesting is you still find that you've had a lot of freedom to work with patients, regardless of them being confined. And uh, wow, I'd like to explore more on that, really. So how, how did you say you're more free when the patient is really confined? I think because like, I'm used to working in a, the, the problem is already predefined in a in the way I'm used to working so I've got background in stroke and also in surgery and oncology and 
you're going there and you're you know the goal is to get them out of hospital and discharge as soon as possible um and so you're then working very specifically towards that goal and all your assessments are sort of predetermined and you're doing a functional assessment to see how well they can get out of bed because you need to get them home to their bed at home as soon as possible but on critical care you're not you haven't really got any of those predefined aims and goals or anything like that you're just okay what can we do with this patient because they're not engaging in any occupations at that point they're often sat in bed for several months at a time and they're not doing anything and therefore kind of anything's a bonus Mm -hmm. and anything you can engage them in is is a huge win and that within that there's a huge amount of freedom you're not like what you're aiming to do with them isn't really predetermined you're right that's amazing isn't it Mm -hmm. wow you know what we've been working for a few weeks and it never crossed my mind that that is how it would have it would come across to you you know, regardless, you're right, you know, you're probably right. You know, when you go into a hospital, in a district general hospital, or you go into awards, there are some preset targets already, isn't it? To get them out and to get the patient moving. You need them to be independent with their functional mobility, to be independent with their toilet hygiene. To There are some tasks, almost criteria or categories or, or target performances that they need to do that I think for a starting clinician, that's exciting. But after a while, it becomes almost prescriptive, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And then now you go in critical care and all of a sudden you cannot do washing and dressing or you're limited with functional mobility. And then you're there faced with a patient or a client not knowing what to do and just exploring what the problems are and then having that option to do some things in the confines, in the confines of the bed or in the confines of them being on the chair or in the confines of those attachments. But that's when you can be creative. Wow. Because, you know, if you're working within the limitations, but your you can do you can think around that problem and that's what OTs that's one of our skills I guess is you're right you're right that's good I like that thought you know to be creative and it's not easy isn't it it's not easy to be creative it's not easy to think of some things very quickly Mm -hmm. so that's why I think you know OT should be funded and have higher banding because you know it's a psychology you've got to be quick in thinking about things and what are the things and it's not just being creative you know because when you're being being creative it means that it's coming from the therapist itself but this time around you have to factor in what the patient's got to say mm-hmm. what they're what are the things that you would consider in a patient i mean you'd be considering their sort of interests in general so things that you know naturally that before they were admitted they were, had an interest in there's no good trying to sort of Foist an activity on someone that they're not going to be interested in at all. Um, but you're also considering like what's appropriate in terms of their fatigue levels and how unwell they are and, and the attachments. And so, you know, we normally when we've been seeing patients, we go in and we see their upper limb function and actually see whether or not they can, you know, can they lift something up? Can they engage? What's their kind of grading level of what activity we can sort of prescribe them? Um, and 
yeah, and just so it also see that level of engagement and motivation because a lot of the patients we've been seeing have been on Kutukwera a really long time. Mm. And actually, they might be sort of sick to the back teeth of people coming in and annoying them and they're really not feeling very well and they're just not very engaged. And so then you'd, you'd sort of change your approach with them based on that as well. Okay. And do you think occupational therapy has a, has a role in critical care? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think in a, in a kind of quite practical sense, and we've seen quite a lot of um, stroke patients, and that's kind of doing stroke initial assessments is sort of one of the sort of fairly more standard. That's like, easy. That's straightforward. Easy yeah. And straightforward. But also, like we've seen so many patients where there's been that kind of slightly indefinable OT magic. Wow. You know, that kind of thing you can't quite explain to someone who hasn't seen it, but, it but does, it's there. It's there. You know, it's there. and that it's 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 been such a surprise to me coming into what in some ways would be like the most acute setting that you can find yourself in, and actually finding that it's a strangely really like fertile breeding ground for that. It's a really interesting like dichotomy between the two things. Wow, I I just got goosebumps when you were saying these things, isn't it? This is amazing, guys. Wow, uh, uh, wow, I'm almost speechless because. You know, there is something there. Mm. There is something in the person mm -hmm. that calls for occupation. There's mm -hmm. something in the person that calls for occupational engagement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For those of you who are following these podcasts, you know, in my, I've got some podcast topic about OT in critical care. And uh, there, it's one of the programs in there is this thing which I named Active OT program or Activity program where the topic or where the objective is to provide some activity and the, the treatment, the occupational therapy is occupational therapy, isn't it? In the pure sense of occupational engagement, purposeful therapeutic activities and person-specific interest-specific activities. And you can never lose, isn't it? Anything you do will just fit into that. I mean, particularly when you're to put it in context, if you've got a patient that might be waiting for a heart transplant and is very unwell and they're on critical care for months sort of waiting indefinitely with no kind of definite date for when they're going to receive their mm. organ. Um, and they're so unwell, they're really, like, they're bed-bound, they're full assistance for all their ADLs, they're not, they're really, like, they are not really able to engage in anything at all. Mm. Um, and so anything that you do is a bonus and it is that kind of, when it's just that need that people have to be engaged that we get to work with in this environment, which is really exciting. Very exciting indeed. Wow. Okay, well, that's strange because I thought you were the one that was going to ask me questions. So in the <laughs> end, I was the one that ended up asking you lots of questions because you're working. Uh, um, uh, Grace is, is an, uh, an OT student and she's an apprentice and this is her uh, placement and she's learning to be an occupational therapist. And um, and so she's 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 read about occupational therapy. The occupational therapy is being taught, obviously, in the university. But I, I, I think there is an opportunity. There was an opportunity, and there has been opportunity for her to really see it in action, where you are not really bounded by the pragmatic challenges of discharge planning. 
And we're still confined by the context of the illness and the physical disability because of their medical situation. But you get to think about occupation. And I think that's really nice. And I'm really proud as well because hearing you talk about this, it feels like, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a lecturer and I'm learning something, you know, which is really good. You know, I'm, I'm listening to you with, with fresh ears, really, not fresh eyes. I listen with fresh ears. Yeah, and I'm looking at it with fresh eyes, isn't it? Wow, high-level English. This is how with high-level English. Uh, cool. Do you have any questions for me or things you want to clarify or you put me on the spot? Put how in the spot. This is now a section called, called put how in the spot. I suppose because um, initially when I was put down to go and do placement here, the plan was originally for me on a more, to be on a more general ward. Mm -hmm. And then I think in the first week we changed to putting me on critical care. Mm -hmm. And I suppose at that point I didn't really understand why. Mm -hmm. Because obviously I didn't really know anything about critical care or the general ward. Mm -hmm. And I know that you kind of assessed me almost mm -hmm. and decided to put me on critical care, which is the first time there's ever been a student on critical care in, in this hospital. And I suppose I'm curious as to what you think the qualities are that you need to be on critical care or kind of why you thought I could do it because I didn't know I could do it. You're right. Well, I'm an occupational therapist for quite some time now. Many, 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 many years. I think even before you were born, Grace. Uh, but I think one of the skills of occupational therapy, like myself, is this thing, activity analysis. Over a period of time, what occupational therapist tends to do, and you develop this skill, and eventually you will develop this too, you will have a quick gauge of the person and the person's abilities, and you will have a quick gauge of the challenges that they need. And I don't know how I managed to do that, but it happens very, very quickly. You know, when I'm asking questions about how things are or what your interests are, for some reason, I'm also analyzing your answers and having a quick gauge on that. So I know for a fact that you have worked in the hospital. I'm, and so it's just like treating you like, a, like a, a, a patient, isn't it? Or a client, isn't it? I know for a fact that you have worked in a hospital. I know that you've had a good experience with stroke and neurology. You've, had, you've worked in a stroke ward before. And I think on, if we go and bring it more on a superficial level, having that skill of neurology, of moving and handling, those are the two things that I would feel be very, very beneficial for an occupational therapist to work in critical care. And because you've worked in general surgical ward, that's fine. So I'm happy that you know, that you will not be threatened by, by what looks like very, very frail and very sick patients. So I can gauge that. And I know that you can understand neurology as well. With neurology and neurological cases, you see the person holistically. Yeah, so you can see their functional communication, their cognition, their movement, their emotion and their mood. So knowing that a person has had an experience with stroke and neurology, I know that you can see and look into the person as a whole, rather than just a person with a fractured hip, that they can't do some, some things. 
it's it's very much more holistic so that's one factor that i considered the other thing as well is again i know that you've worked in a district general hospital already which means that discharge planning will just be very easy for you and initially i thought of putting you in a cardiology ward but i looked at the challenge it would have been so easy you know for you it would have been so and that was what i was expecting yeah was expecting to sort of it to be very similar and I was worried I would be a bit bored. Would you? Oh, I thought I was expecting that it would be easy. (laughs) (laughs) I think because I'd I'd also had the experience before coming to placement of covering a ward by myself and Mm. so actually I had done a lot of discharge planning and and that kind of like sort of setting and, and, and decision making, I suppose. Okay. So those are the few things. Uh... Yeah, generally, the challenge that you needed is that I know that your experience, the ward is is already there. And I think this is, my, from my experience, if this is, if all the OT apprentices are going to be like you, just going to be like Grace, it would have been a wonderful placement, you know. It would have been wonderful for all the services who would be receiving a, a, an OT apprentice as an OT student because you don't have to start from scratch. You already have the foundation experience. All I needed to do was put a label, put labels in what you are doing. So all I needed to do was to supplement you with with the models of practice, you know, the... Uh, uh, what else, the, the uh, continuum of care, you know, why we're doing things, what are the historical, how, his, you know, the historical Brunstroms and Bobafs and Roods and all of these things and the history and the story behind the documentation. So I just needed to put that into context or, uh, you know, put put labels really on what you know. So... Uh, again, is are there any other things? I mean, pragmatically, when you started, and I'd like to share it to my listeners out there, you know, it's it's not just Grace, who's my student. I tried to, I attempted to have two students at a time. But both students have different strengths and different needs. Both are coming from different universities, and, uh, and it, they have different needs. So... And I didn't have plan for my other student. I didn't have plan f- for you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's again, I come in and I came in, and the students came in, and within the first week, you know, I have been gauging, trying to gauge what was the best place. If I was, if I didn't have any option and I didn't have any choice, then we will be stuck in cardiology. You will be there, but we'll make it as exciting as your experience in critical care. Uh, but yeah, I think it's the experience in neurology. Uh, I know your strengths and I know what you would need. And that was a quick analysis from one occupational therapist. And this is not analyzing a patient, but analyzing a uh, another colleague, potential colleague, future colleague and another uh, individual. Yeah. Because I guess I, I had to trust your judgment yeah (laughs) with like my 
you know. I know. Had to trust well, that you could, you know, see what I could do. And was that scary? A little bit. Was it? You know, the idea of being on critical care is it. It was like it was quite unexpected, and also it was. I remember the first day, mm. the first day or two. I think you sort of let me loose on the ward, and the phrase you used was "go and swim up the ward." Exactly. Go and talk to people. Yeah. And and I ended up sort of talking to some patients and some things, and then I sort of reported back to you, and you were like, "That was more than I expected," and I was like, "Really?" Because mm. <laughs> I think I come from. I'm used to sort of being quite under pressure, and go, so you have to go and see patients. Yeah. And and being surprised, I could do it almost. Um, yeah, and I think for for a placement, I mean, you're you're a student at the you're a student at the end of the day, and a student, regardless of which university you're coming from, I'm teaching you the basic things, how to work with patients how to find out problems, how to plan to resolve those problems. So the first few days, wow, that's what I said. I almost forgot about that, that which is true. You know, go as long as rule number one, and this is from me, and this is from how and how's experience in another country. Just don't kill anybody, isn't it? That's the number one rule. Don't pull things. If you don't know what they are, you know, step back. It's all right. But I ask you to go and get familiar with the place be curious isn't it it's just like a kid you know going into oh there is this jungle there's this woodland only with bleeping respirators and monitors it's like oh what's in here can i come in here if you go into the woods what would you do oh where would you hide where can i hide where can i put a, where can i set up camp isn't it which tree can i climb up you know, I'm going to perch on that tree. That's going to be my home base. Where can I put my hammock in? You know? I mean, there aren't any hammocks in critical care. <laughs> there, there wouldn't be, but there are some slings, but you've not seen them. I don't think we have uh, 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 hoisted somebody with a, in a bed. Um, bed with physio. Oh, yes, you have been. You've tried that with physio, yeah. Oh, yes, okay. Well, I wasn't there. Yeah, for the record, uh, Grace managed to see it, but that's good. Any other questions? I suppose um, the main question is, because the, the thing I've sort of been aware of on critical care is actually there's a little bit of a divide or a sort of sense of it being quite a new space for OT to be in, in this hospital. And I was also very aware that you were kind of trusting me with that because it's the first time I've had a student on there and normally it's just you working on that ward and the staff kind of got to know you and, and, and that's fine. But then bringing someone new in who is a student and therefore kind of slightly unproven um, was a bit of a risk. And I was very aware at the whole time of like trying to maintain a sense of professionalism and really trying to represent OT well. Mm. Um, and I suppose that my question is like, was it a help to have a student or was it, hindrance or was it were you aware of yeah. that well it, it definitely is a help because one students are so willing to learn yeah that is so <laughs> nice and everything I think as a student maybe not as a and as a young clinician students would have this eye of that that opens up to being at awe the eyes of wonderment isn't it so as a student, 
I know that when you're there, you can either be scared of it or you can look at it with awe because you are learning so much, isn't it? And for that purpose, I think that's a help. The other thing as well is that I wouldn't be in any pressure. We will not be in any pressure because if it was a clinician who's there, who's half who has the half of responsibility or half the responsibility of looking after a ward, we know that people will gravitate towards the ward because what is there to do in critical care is always the big question, isn't it? So having a student is, is good. I mean, to be fair and to be honest with you, you know, this is also a trial and an experiment for me. You know, if it failed, then I might not do it ever again. But I think now, based on this experience, and I know how to go about with things, I have already a set program for whoever is going to be lucky to try critical care again, you know, if I allow them to go to critical care. And should I be, should I have the, you know, the will to do it? <laughs> it's really nice, though. Uh, so as a student, did it help? Yes, it did help. Again, it's not just you, it's, it's your strengths. You know, it didn't, didn't matter to me whether you're a student or whether you're an, a clinician. At the end of the day, can you, did I feel you have the ability to do that? And, and it felt like you did. And I also know about your interest, Grace. I know that you are interested in art as well, or have had, has a history of, of you know, previous profession being in the fields of art. So creative side of things is always important for occupational therapists, you know. So I know that you've got that in your, in your tool. As a, as a student, during my placement, we've, I've even had to carry an idea file. Have you come across that? No. Wow. That was, that was, that was us for my training like 25 or so years ago. I have, we have, it's like we have idea files if you're stuck with ideas, you can just come up and look at the, this file. It's like, okay, what crafts can I be doing? What communication activity can I be doing? Mm -hmm. What, uh, you know, like, uh, um, uh, so crafts, communication, what exercises can I be doing? It's an idea file. So this is a good tip for a lot of people. Maybe I'll talk about this in, in future podcasts or future episodes. So it's just, it's a book where you can write down. It's like idea files of the things that you can be dealing dealing with patients and I think what's important as well is you go in there not with the idea in your head but also have a bag of little things isn't it yeah yeah I remember you showing me <laughs> yeah you have a bag of goodies because uh, you'll, you'll need that you'll need that but I digress I digress so you had a question and I think I answered it was it helpful to have a student yes it was because the student was ready you know the student was prepared well you know, when the student is prepared, the teacher shall arise. You know, that's that's the belief in some uh, mm -hmm. some uh, ancient, not ancient, <laughs> Asian culture, not ancient <laughs> culture. All right, and any more? I suppose this might be a, a real question to put you on the spot, but what what has been the hardest thing to teach? Like, what do you think is the hardest thing to teach? The hardest thing to teach. It's more on the, on the values or more on the person like yourself 
having learning to let go of structure. That is the most difficult thing to teach. A lot of people plan. A lot of people look forward to what's next, what's next, what's next. And, and I've always been, not in a, an unsafe side, I always come in with a blank canvas that I come in and let's see what we have. Let's see what the person has. Who is this person? Knowing the patient for the first time, it's teaching like yourself, you can do it. But, you know, I, I can't blame you for being a planner, isn't it? This is, a, this, this is years of conditioning, isn't it? You know, you've had to plan, but it's being a student, you've got to plan. I understand that. You see, even me trying to explain it is already difficult. But that, learning to submit to, to an empty canvas, isn't it? So I know it's something we, we almost used a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> well, of my art background and painting, it's something that when I paint or draw, I never go in with a plan. That's good. I just good. work instinctively. Is and it? that's always been the way I've worked. But I, and I've been, I thought about this the last time I did a drawing, was actually that now I've been painting and drawing for 10, 15 years, I've now got a skills base to kind of get exactly what I want onto the canvas and I can see what I need to do where without it being, I don't plan what the picture's gonna look like before I do it, but I have the skill to kind of facilitate that. Whatever it is in your head. No, even in my head, it's just, okay, so that I've done that over here, so therefore it needs something over here to respond to it. Mm, it's quite intuitive. To balance and out. To, to balance it, it's <gasps> kind of like a, hanging it all together. Ah, I see. And, and Oh my God. And that analogy was really helpful because mm. actually I can see that that's what you're doing yeah. when you're doing your assessments because you're going in and you're using your skill and your knowledge base and your ability to sort of almost follow your nose yes. and work out what the patient has or symptoms or you're sort of recognising a symptom and then assessing that symptom and then, okay, that's brought up this aspect so we need to investigate that more and you're kind of following the trail through. Right. Which is exactly what I do when I paint. Yes. But the difference is at this point as a student, I don't have the OT skills yet. The OT skills yet to be able to do that. So it's kind of the equivalent of when I was learning the skills of painting. Uh, and so I guess in painting, it doesn't matter if you get it wrong, you throw it away and it's yeah. fine. But I suppose the, the thing is obviously you can't do that with, no. with patients. So what I guess the substitute is, is you prop yourself up with planning yeah. and you kind of use structure to mm. ensure that you've so instead of sort of identifying symptoms sort of by investigation, you identify them by exclusion. And I, I, I think that's almost due to experience mm. and just not having that skill yet. Very but true. it's the key word is yet. Yes, very true. <laughs> and very it was something true. I hadn't even considered before placement mm. is because mm. all the, the OTs I'd come across used structure mm. because I think I've worked in an environment where that was kind of standard procedure. Mm, it is, it is, um, it's, it's a protective thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a reassurance. Mm -hmm. Having the plan, knowing what to do, you're not gonna be there left blank and not knowing what to do, that is. And I'm trying to put myself back many, many years ago when I was doing my placement. Um, again, my training is a little bit different. I already know how, I already know the how. 
So sometimes I go in because our training was a bit different. All the foundation skills of medical foundation, neurological foundation, physical dysfunction, anatomy, kinesiology, everything was there, physiology. It was all there already before we did the placement. So we're, we have a very good foundation in that respect. And even when you're seeing one patient after another, it is not easy the first time. You're right, you're right. But yes, it really is important to have that skills. But I don't know how we can do that because I think the process and the system in, in, in this country is you learn a part and then you do some placement and then you learn the other half of that part and then you apply that on another placement. Whereas when you go into placement, you have to do the entire thing where some parts are still missing, mm -hmm. isn't it? And I, I think that's the thing is you, you then feel very out of your depth. And mm. then I think it's, it's, it's been this placement has been finding the line between where my, where it's positive to take a risk because not even a risk, but positive to try something I haven't done before because actually that's where the growth is, but also not overstepping it too much and knocking mm. my confidence. Yeah. And it's that kind of line. Yeah. And I think actually it's knowing where my skills level is at and not overdoing it but also not being afraid to try. Yeah. Self-awareness, isn't mm. it? So just the right push, not to scare the student. And I've all, I would always encourage that anyway. You know, if, if you feel it's out of your depth, you know, come back, step back, and let's look at it together. Mm. Because I know for a fact sometimes the, it, it just varies, you know. There's no one set rule. There are some students that wanted to do it first alongside with their supervisor, and then they can do it afterwards. But then, no two cases are ever the same. So in the end, you'll have the supervisor with you all the time because every case is unique, mm -hmm. isn't it? Wow. This is like a philosophical <laughs> philosophical <laughs> podcast now, isn't it? Uh, do you have any more, many more questions? Um, what's your like ultimate vision, like blue sky thinking for critical care OT? Oh, like what would right. be like your dream? In other parts of the world, the skills are always there. It's not new in other countries. You know, we would be seeing patients anywhere or within the scope of that continuum of, of the, the health, you know, from, from being acute, apart from being in the surgery, isn't it? But as soon as person is stable or unstable, then an occupational therapist can come in. Because we are addressing the performance component, what you guys are, you know, some a lot of people are missing. It's not just performance areas, it's ADL work and leisure, you know, that's, that's out in the rehab area. But you also have performance components. And these performance components can be at risk, isn't it? They can be at risk when they are in having a critical condition. And the preventative treatment and intervention, these are all... It's doable. So from an occupational therapy perspective, there is a lot of scope in critical care. So my vision is that we will all be, imagine that, you know, critical care is buzzing, you know, with colors and with people wanting to sleep but being woken up to do some stuff. <laughs> it's like, no, please get me to the ward. No, I am hoping. I know that it will happen in that respect. 
that OT, occupational therapy, will be perceived as one very essential uh, part of the team because we're not just dealing with the physical side of of the patient. We are also dealing with the psychosocial and emotional side of the patient. And there's not a lot of psychologists in there in critical care. And occupational therapists can tap into this. So we're there, you know. We're treating the person as a whole, looking at the person as a whole, you know, and I wanted it. I know it will happen where we would be buzzing, we will be there, and then the consultants, the internists, intensivists, they would be saying, okay, well, this heart is stable or this, you know, the internal organs are unstable, there's no acidosis, but the person is still slow to recover. Okay, can you please, uh, we need occupational therapy here, you know? Imagine, it's like, if once a consultant says that, it's like, okay, well, this person just needs occupational therapy, meaning they want the person to engage, to wake up, to participate, yeah? So, yeah, lots of, it's, it's not a big vision, but it's just there, we're there. Occupation is everywhere, guys. You know, it is a, it's a skill for the art of living, isn't it? And when you're awake, when you're not doing exercise, you think of, okay, what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. If you're at home on the weekend, you wake up, yeah, you've had your tea, you've had your toast. Hmm, what am I going to do next? Sit down, I'll watch a TV. After that, what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. It's the same in critical care. It's almost incomprehensible to put yourself in someone's shoes in that environment, in that situation. You know, the idea of being in a tiny, the same room for weeks, months, mm. and not really being able to do anything and having no autonomy and no real sort of say in, in what happens, mm. although, you know, the medical teams are wonderful and, and a lot of the, the, the care they're receiving is life-saving and completely necessary, it also has a huge impact on that person. And an OT is kind of a, a huge part in that, or can be a huge part in, like, readdressing that sense of self. It is, it is, because what happens when... And it's very standard as well, you know, nowadays, when, when somebody's ill, what's the natural tendency for the person to do? Rest. Rest and sleep, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's it. Or once somebody gets the operation, what would you like to do? Not move and sleep. That's the natural tendency. You want to recover, yeah? But then science is changing now. You know, we're acknowledging that the, you know, the more you move, the quicker you recover. The longer you stay inactive, the more you would deteriorate. So you want to be active, you want to be involved. And it's not just mobility. Mobility is not just, is the solution in there. Yes, you know, you'll maintain your walking, gross motor skills, physical. But then we exercise so many things, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm in the path of, of self-realization and self-discovery uh, here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this is good. All right, yeah. Okay, one final question. Oh, there's a final question. Um, what's the one resource you wish you had? Like if you could stock up the cupboard with anything or have access to a something, what would you have? Really? Yeah. A resource, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know you talked a little bit about virtual reality. Yeah. Which sounded really interesting. That's one of the things, but I wouldn't, uh, you know, that's one one new thing to explore really but the wow what is the resource i mean will will a staff be a part of the resource 
I mean, it can be. It can be, yeah. You can yeah. stretch the definition. <laughs> if you want to start, you know, it's like that is a resource mm -hmm. that I would like to have more people that can help me help people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, meaning more occupational therapists that can help us put all of these OT theories into practice. Mm -hmm. You know, try all of these theories that's out there that's been existing since the 60s and 70s and 80s. It's all been there and and it needed to be tried not just by me, not just by one person. That's why if I have to have a resource, wow, it would be great to have people coming over to try this, to try what I have been trying so that they can say that it really works, mm -hmm. isn't it? Because at the end of the day, if it's only me that's doing it, I'm just a crazy man, you know, just doing all, not experimental stuff, but, you know, all the occupation. Yeah, like that kind of yeah. new ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the one resource that I would want. In terms of the physical, well, you said one, so that would be my one. But in terms of uh, my concept about physical like support and resources and equipment, you know, I I have no preference because I think occupational therapists are are there and should be equipped with creativity. There should be, I think, there should be a lesson or a workshop on how to stimulate the right brain in university, how to be creative. You know, like imagination, how to be a kid again. So we need to create more young people getting more creative, the creative ones. And you know what's nice about having young people on board? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're fearless. They don't care about the politics, isn't it? Yeah. They just go, you know, this is what's nice about it, you know. Mm -hmm. So yes, having staff or having a lot of people, having a lot of occupational therapists, that is one resource that I would need, that we would need, guys. Okay. Okay. All right. That's all my questions. That's it. Oh, I don't want to end this conversation. This is really, really fun. This is really fun. This is OT conversation, guys. So in this episode, again, once again, I am uh, graced with the presence of Grace, <laughs> who is an OT apprentice, and uh, she has just completed her placement in critical care with me and we've had lots of fun conversations i hope i can invite you again on future uh, ot conversations yeah sure yeah okay good yeah we'll talk about that after after you know uh, outside the studio uh okay guys uh again uh, thank you so much i hope you have learned a little something from from this episode my recommendation is you go and talk to one another have that discussion have that conversation and if you've learned something past this information or uh, past this uh, the, the uh, uh, podcast around or give the information to others learn together grow together just remember anything you do matters and has an outcome until next time bye